This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Pop.me, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by GRIT two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm Jen Vogel, and today I want to talk about customer experience and how companies can improve their CX programs. To discuss the topic, I'm joined by Dennis Wakabayashi. Dennis is a global voice of CX, a connector of people and resources to transform business, author and keynote speaker. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Hi, Jen. How are you? It's so great to be here. Wonderful so to, happy to, to have be you on your show. I know. It's been, it's been a, a long time planning, so I'm glad we made it here. Hi. <laughs> so to get us started on this conversation, can you tell us, our audience, a bit about yourself and your experience in the CX industry? Sure. It's always awkward when, when you have to talk about yourself. You know, <laughs> I've been in the advertising and marketing industry for <clears throat> 30 or so years. I started out on the advertising side of things and I worked on the brand, brand side of things. Eventually I got interested in a little topic we all know and love is customer experience. Since then, about five years ago, I've spent the last part of my life just seeking out interesting customer experience stories, ideas, innovations. And I did that really to improve my ability to help Fortune 500 brands, but I guess smaller brands as well solve some of the complexities of customer experience. I've had the um, fortunate opportunity to work on FedEx, Wells Fargo, AT&T, um, a number of brands where um, I learned firsthand about some of the challenges that face business people and face consumers. And I've been passionate about both ever since. Amazing. Um, you said you've been seeking customer experience stories. Tell me more about what you mean by that. You know, <clears throat> I felt like there was so much academic discussion on the topic of CX. Great people. Um, Forrester, of course, pioneered the way. Gene Bliss really gave us a model for um, how executives should behave. Shep Hyken taught us all about the customer. Um, Dan Gingas brought sort of this um, social um, reasoning to our community conversations in the context of CX. All these people were doing these great things. And I got fascinated by the people. So I started going to the events. And then I started investigating, I guess, or educating myself about brands. I was brought into brands to learn more about them. And just recently, I was asked by Expo 2020 Dubai to come to Dubai and learn about literally the greatest experiences on earth. And that's a, that's a tall statement mm -hmm. for sure. But when you get there and you see that they've built a sustainable city of the future, the mindset is entirely different around customer experience. It's almost been forced to evolve the project, the practice of customer experience management. It's been forced to evolve under this accelerated innovation event that brings together cultures, entertainment, business, all of these things together to create not just giant epic experiences, but down to the most minute detail. 
that complexity really is a story that intrigued me and I was really happy to experience, no pun intended, but that kind of illustrates how I got into and why I like finding the stories of CX. Amazing. I love how, what you just said. It's not just the like epic experiences, but like the minute details really matter too um, and can really make a difference in a customer experience. Jen, there some of the things like experiences that we don't think about. In this epic city of Expo 2020 Dubai, which will be later called District 2020, a city of the future, they thought about these giant epic events, but even down to the architecture and how much breeze would come through during the season in between each building. These were the kinds of things that they were able to think about. It's really smart. Like the stuff that you like people don't notice consciously, but it makes a big difference, right? A hundred percent. And so why is customer experience so top of mind right now for so many businesses? I think that, okay, I think the reason is in 2013, so customer experience as a discipline has been around since 1994 or so. It took us until 2015 to get um, a book by Gene Bliss to tell us about how we should all act as corporate people in the context of CX. But it wasn't even until shortly thereafter that the mobile phone became this rich source of data and consumer behavior. And when we had the consumer behavior at scale in the context of our economies, our businesses started to pay attention to that because there was recognized new efficiencies, certainly from revenue and, and, and uh, dollars, but also there was um, a chance for us to learn more about customers and serve them better. Yeah, that's really interesting. So a lot of it comes from just our access to that data um, as opposed to, you know, the desire to improve the experience itself. Yes. That's so interesting. I mean, we talk about that a lot with all of the guests on the show. Like there is no shortage of data out there about customers. We keep getting, you know, more and more, right? Like social media becomes a thing. And all of a sudden we've got all this social media data. We see what people are talking about online. We've got online purchases that are happening. Like you mentioned, you, they've got smartphones and there's all this data there. So being able to make sense of that and bring it all together, it's no longer about, running surveys to answer questions like that's a, a, a part of a bigger whole, um, but it's no longer the only way to get get a sense for what people are doing um, and make business decisions based on that. So it's a big challenge for companies to pull all that together and and do something really meaningful with it. And Jen, can I share with you something that I learned from Ala Al Sharugi? Yeah. She is in charge of the virtual experience of Expo. She is a, a student and a uh, uh, she's a studier of human behavior. And she taught me something about customer experience that I had never thought of. It stunned me. It sh shook me while I was there interviewing her. And she was describing this new perception of experiences that maybe data doesn't quite get to. And here was the idea. When you have an experience and a mother goes into that experience with their child, and the mother and child come to this experience. When they leave after, there's some part of what they've ha what's happening to them at that moment in time and place 
that changes them both forever, but also makes them similar in a certain way. And in that way, you then begin to ask yourselves, not just what are the behaviors that drive us to these experiences? What are the experience? What are, who are we? Who is our persona post experience? But what are the shared experiences like when we combine multiple people in a place and time to have a, have something happen to us that moves us emotionally or intellectually or financially? This, I'm loving this. I I have to share. So I just got back from Disney World with my six-year-old. He turned six on the day that we were at the Magic Kingdom. And like exactly as you're describing, like yes. the experience yes. of being at Disney, right? Like I've been there a lot. I went as a kid. I had a different experience as a kid than I do as a mom, you know, and having that, like I if I went there by myself, today and went on Space Mountain, I would have my own experience and that would, you know, change me in some way. I may be like you describe a different person after the experience than I was before, but experiencing that with my son, with other family members, like it, that collective experience is, is different, right? It's different than just me experiencing something on my own. So like, I'm like hearing what you're saying and it's so relating to it right now, given what I've just come back from, but it's so true. Yes. So since we're nerding out. Yeah, let's here, do it. Here was what was going through my mind as I was learning about this. We start with personas to get down to a personalized experience. And we do that and, and we think personalization is the end. But as we know, it's inherent in the CX human-centered design process to be iterative. And it, I guess it didn't occur to me until Ala Ashurigi said what she did, that we start as personas. We go into the personal experience at Magic Kingdom on that ride, in that seat. But we emerge part of a new, new persona or a new target set of people who've been on that ride. And we all have that new collective experience that's unique. And the cycle continues again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So this creates a challenge for businesses because now all of a sudden, you know, we used to be able to just focus on personas and personalization. Now we have to keep in mind that those are going to change like at every moment. Right. And I think that we've seen a lot of evidence of that, too, over the last couple of years. Like our experiences have been very unique um, to maybe what our life experiences were prior to pandemic and all the things happening in the world today. So, you know, how do companies stay on top of that? How do you have a customer experience program that's equipped to, to be iterative in that way? So Jen, <clears throat> you bring up some very interesting points because what if we consider that the most important experience is the one that customers or human beings share. That it's no longer about changing each person's behavior to our own ends, to our own models. But what if it's about being creative and innovative and, and inspiring for 
the purpose of what customers or humans take outwardly from that experience instead of what happens to them when they arrive. What if we redefine some of our strategies and tactics to account for the opportunity for something new that we didn't count on, that we didn't um, plan for, but we knew would have a certain good intention. What if that were the one of the fundamental elements that we built into our journey maps? I don't know. Mm. I'm getting really weird right now. No, I like it's it. So meta. <laughs> As you're talking about it, like I was going to ask, like how do companies go about like improving experiences? But is it not so much about improving the experience in the moment and actually thinking about the outcome of having had that experience? Like, what do we want people to leave feeling like or, you know, do next as opposed to experience in the moment? Is that really the, the future of improving customer experience? Thank you for bringing it back to reality. To sum up what you said in much clearer terms, Maybe we, maybe we just simply say, instead of in our normal practices of mapping what customers are thinking, feeling, doing, maybe we add another box that says becoming. I don't know. I love this. I, I love this so much as a, you know, as a marketer who's thinking about jobs to be done and customer journey mapping, like doing, thinking, feeling is like constantly cycling in my brain. So becoming is, um, I love that. It's really yeah, it's a really good idea. Dem Vogel's show, if this makes it into the lexicon, we okay. know exactly that you you were the catalyst for it all. We're becoming something different thanks to your show. There you go. You heard it here, here first. <laughs> um, well, we are going to take a really quick break for our right. weekly segment with Box Popme's VP of Research, Brian Monsheen. This week, he shares tips on product launches. So let's check it out. Hey everybody and welcome to Bright Ideas. Today I'm going to give you a crash course into the research plan needed for new product launches. Now this is just a general framework. Um, you don't necessarily have to do every phase of time. I like to give it as a good rule of thumb is the more that a product differs from your core offering, the more steps you want to likely take. But if it's a close inline extension, you may not be able to skip some of these phases. Um, and also throughout the process, I do like to recommend a good mix of quant and qual to get consumer feedback, um, particularly the qual, because it really helps uncover some of the whys behind your quant findings. So once you have your alignment on your objectives, you know your consumer target, and you have a final project brief written, the research process typically starts at the idea generation phase. This is really your exploratory research. So what you want to do is create a pool of product ideas, and they could come from pretty much out anywhere. Uh, secondary research, focus groups, internal brainstormings that you've done, um, consumer feedback from prior quant research, or even competitive trends that you're seeing in the industry. And now that you've got all your ideas, you want to screen those with consumers. So typically that's done in an online quant survey. Um, and then when you have all the results back and you reviewed all your KPIs like purchase intent and uniqueness and strengths and weaknesses, those top performers can get pushed forward into a more in-depth concept test. Um, that's typically a monadic test. There's more in-depth questions. And then you could also layer in qual or video feedback that you may be facing. 
So now you're in the product development and testing phase. So around this time, a product prototype typically gets developed, usually by an R&D team. And the insights team is really going to want to be heavily involved in that process to ensure the product is aligned with all those great consumer insights that you uncovered in the earlier stages. You'll then want to test these products with consumers, and that feedback will determine any modifications that need to be made and, and which features are most important to emphasize during the launch. And then the research in this phase can be a few different things. It could be a form of product testing. It could even be sensory taste tests if it's a consumable item. Uh, I also like to incorporate qual feedback here. I think it's a great way to have consumers help explain the benefits of the product because you can use that to um, you know, infuse into your messaging once you get into marketing and advertising. And, uh, and speaking of marketing, you'll likely want to do some more research in parallel at this phase to get feedback on the other supporting components of your product. So things like advertising, pricing, and packaging. So you're now in the market testing phase. Uh, products typically get tested in a sample market to understand sales potential prior to a full rollout. So along with measuring the test and control sales data during that market test, you can also utilize things like tracking, consumer intercepts, or video response to understand consumers' experience with the product or service. Again, this is this is a, a, a phase within the process where the goal is to test and learn, and you want to adapt where needed. So when all those prior steps are completed and any necessary course correction has been done, you're ready for launch. Uh, but your job isn't done yet. You'll now want to track the ongoing progress of that product to ensure the sales components are performing at or above forecast and also ensuring that the consumer perceptions are so strong. And there you have it, your guide to researching new product launches. We'll see you next time. Some great practical insight on new iteration and innovation from, from our VP of Research, Brian Monsheen. All right, let's get back into it. What, um, what positive role can a customer experience program play for businesses? You know, there are the business goals, but what I also think is be, is the customer experience programs tend to use empathy in their practice. And as such, they tend to create alignment across stakeholders. They tend to create collaboration. I had a friend, Joshua Tai, who is a fantastic CXer, still is, I guess. And he said once, I asked him because he, he was extraordinarily good. I interviewed him once way back in the early part of my, my CX days. And I said, Joshua, if you had to tell a CEO one thing, if the CEO had low budget, and but they wanted to start CX, where should they focus? And Joshua Ty said, focus on the teamwork. Teamwork doesn't cost you anything and it reaps great results. Great teamwork is the source of good CX. And I just thought, there it is. There's the intrinsic benefit of doing CX. It improves corporate culture. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, that's sort of the theme of the week, it seems. We, we've we got a double episode week, you guys. If you Thanks for tuning in yesterday if you did. Normally, we don't do back-to-back, -back, but... Uh, this is that's my punishment for going on vacation. But anyways, yesterday, the theme of the show, hashtag collaboration is what uh, our guest Jennifer was talking about in in the context of research and understanding customers and really the importance of getting all the teams on the same page. And, you know, what you said about like empathy is really at the root of that, you know, creating 
collaboration centered around empathy for the communities that you're serving or the audiences that you're targeting is only going to make for better products, better services, a stronger brand that actually speaks to the needs of, of your audience and, and doing that collectively as one whole does really impact the culture. It really does. And collaboration, nurturing organizations, you know, collaboration between customers, employees, the community, you know, I think that one of the things I learned at um, Expo 2020 Dubai was when you can collaborate, not just people, but ideologies, um, inclusivity across different cultures, governmental practices, um, business practices, arts, um, entertainment, you get a whole new kind of collaboration that it brings people together. Collaboration isn't always about the same people in the same business or the same people with the product and service. Collaboration might be a wider opportunity that um, has intrinsic benefits, not just for corporations, but for humankind. Yeah, I totally agree. And so I guess like if collaboration is the first place to start, that doesn't cost you anything. You know, what's the next step to, you know, for a company that wants to start um, a program that they can then evolve? So stakeholder alignment collaboration is is absolutely the first key. But then you have to you have to get to know your customer. You have to understand the persona or the perspective of your customer, and and then of course you have to go into the planning, and then you have to execute. And it, it's not an easy thing, depending upon what size scale of transformation you want to make. Mm-hmm. And I also think just I have another friend, Diba Saho. He's the head of transformation over at Fidelity, and I asked him what's the secret to transformation because. He's very successful. And Diva said, here's the thing about CX and transformation. It's really about going from point A to point B. And point B is so easy to rally around because it lives in the imaginations of and minds of the people. But point A is where transformation happens. So maybe, Jen, I'm saying the first step might not even be collaboration. It might just be the commitment to change. Mm, mm. That is so challenging, especially for, you know, some longstanding businesses, right? It's, yeah. I, I think when, when I have conversations about transformation and innovation, it's really easy for these brand new startups, you know, that are just emerging and rapidly growing to have that culture of transformation. But, you know, I spoke to somebody a few weeks ago from Avon, a, you know, 160 year old company and, um, you know, the transformation's a little bit harder in, a, in that kind of environment. So um, that I love that that commitment to change has to be the first step. Otherwise, you're never going to get to point B. You know, I when I was young, I read this little saying, and it just it sticks with me now in my adult career, is uh, people love innovation, but they hate change. Mm, it's so true. Yeah. You don't actually want to, like, participate in it. <laughs> That's too hard. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to get to the other side um, when you've already innovated and already done something amazing. It's painful in the middle. So uh, speaking of innovation, this show is fantastic. I just want to say, I love what you're doing and the way you're bringing it to the people. Great format. I love your show. And I just want to say cheers to you. You're fostering change. You're fostering innovation. You're fostering collaboration and 
we don't say thank you enough or give shouts out to leaders like you. So I just want to say shouts out on your show to you, Jen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, I will just say I do not do this alone. I have an army of support behind me to help make this happen. And I'm, I'll get in trouble if I name them by name. I've I hear you, made but, that mistake before. <laughs> but there are people behind the curtain that are that are really making people behind the curtain with Jen. Thank you for everything you're doing for our community. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and so I guess, you know, before we wrap up, like we did talk about like all the data that we have access to and understanding what people are doing and decisions that are making through, you know, passive means, but what role does talking and listening to our customers play in making an experience better? And, you know, what tips might you have for, for listening to customers better? Wow. Okay. Just from an academic sense, I would say for your audience, here's the thing that I think is important for us to pay attention to is we have tons of data from our phones. In fact, too much data from the internet and from our phones and the algorithms are manipulating the, uh, the inputs to all of our sources. So we have to consider that. And um, I would say when I think about where to look next, I would go back to basics. I would look at retail or physical environments and get cues from those places. How many people are really at a particular place at a particular time? A lot of the things we used to look at and we sort of moved away from like footfall, that sort of thing. Mm. When we moved to digital. I think we do need to look back at those um, retail or physical metrics because there's a truth there that isn't based on scale or math. It There's a more of organic uh, knowledge there and there's maybe some more intuition there about customers. So in 2022, maybe consider what how the real, real, real world interacts with the digital world. And in that little section of data, there's probably a little bit more truth than in the big giant piles of massive data, digital data that we have. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting point. You know, the how that place where the real world inter intersects with the virtual world is maybe where a lot of the truth lies. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. This was a great conversation. Thanks for sharing um, your expertise with us and hopefully we'll connect again soon. Jen, thank you. Congratulations on the show. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks everybody for joining us and listening in. We'll be back with another episode soon when I'll be joined by Nicole Umana. I'll see you then.